Come on in, find a seat. Okay. It's good to see you all. It's good to be here. My name's Chris. Uh, if we haven't met each other. My name's Chris if we have met each other, I suppose, too. But, um, it's good to see you. Uh, so we've been talking about spiritual for- formation into disciples of Jesus for the last, last week and in a couple weeks before that. Uh, and the, we talked about the three goals of a disciple of Jesus are... Be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what he did. And so we're talking about how do we become like Jesus? How do we grow and change to become more Christ-like? And so this series on, on spiritual formation or, or sanctification, if you like boring church words, is beginning to kind of activate that discipleship process. And one of the things we, we need to keep in mind as we, as we talk about this stuff is this series actually is simply about you becoming fully alive, okay? The more you become like Jesus, the more you become your true self. Uh, so this long process of partnering, partnering with God in your own spiritual formation is the process over a lifetime of you becoming the person you're intended to be. You're becoming a person who thrives and flourishes with your personality, with your talents, with your education, with your gifts, with your relationships, with your workplace, With all those things about you. Because God doesn't want to make you a robot. God's not into mass production. He's an artist, right? He's an artisan. Ephesians 2, you're a masterpiece. He wants to set you, the real best you, loose into the world, right? And so that's what this is about. And how does that happen? If we want to become more Christ-like, more like Jesus, how do we change as people? And so we have this slide, this, this triangle slide, the first one. There it is. And this is, this is what we're kind of working through. It's our process of, of intentional spiritual formation. And intentional spiritual formation begins with teaching. You'll see that. We are learning to replace false narratives with true biblical narratives. I talked about this last week. We all kind of carry views of how the world works. And transformation begins with the renewal of our minds and imaginations for what's possible with Jesus. And reordering our life in that direction. So transformation begins with the renewal of our minds to replace false narratives, false teachings with true biblical teaching, Jesus' narratives. And then we replace habits, unintentional habits, that are shaping us with spiritual practices. That's what we're going to talk about today. So it's not enough to talk about information, because information alone can't bring change. We can't think our way into Christ's likeness. So there's practices. And then there's community. We move from casual relationships, social media relationship, to meaningful community, where we walk with each other over a long period of time. Next week, we're going to talk about that. The following week, we'll talk about being shaped by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit becomes the environment for which we experience transformation. All this happens over a long period of time. So for the rest of our life, and I believe, for the rest of eternity, we will be growing and being transformed more and more into Christ's likeness. What scriptures teach is that the new heaven and new earth is dynamic. It's, it's not static. So I think we'll, be, we'll keep learning and growing, right? Like I've heard the, I've heard the teaching that eternity is going to be singing worship to God for the rest of eternity. Have you heard that? 
Every time I heard that, I'm like, that sounds very monotonous, right? I don't, I'm, I don't mean that to be offensive. I love to worship, but if that's all we're doing, I'm going to get bored, right? So I do think the scripture teaches that we will worship him forever. I think that idea is accurate. But I believe that everything we do when heaven comes to earth and we have, our phys- have physical bodies, everything we do will be worship. So everything will be worship. We'll be communing with each other. We will eat food. We'll be communing with God and we'll be growing. And all of it will glorify God. I think that's what the scriptures teach because that's what God intended. And so the question is, how do we start to live in that reality here and now? Okay, so we said last week that you can't think your way into Christ like this. It's not enough to have the right knowledge because knowing something is not the same thing as doing something. It's not the same thing as wanting to do it. Right? So last week we talked about the gap that we all have. We all have a gap from what we know and what we want to, do, to what we want to do and who we are and who we want to be. So how do we change it? How do we change if it's not just about information? Well, the answer is it's about practices. So in Matthew 7, it's the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says this. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice... Is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So Jesus says, Thanks for listening to the sermon, everybody. Thanks for showing up today. But it isn't going to do you any good. You might as well have stayed home or gone fishing if you don't do something with what I've just taught you to do. Jesus ties together the need for teaching to moving into practice. It's not enough to listen and hear and know the things that Jesus taught, but it has to move and be integrated and embodied through practice in our lives. And he says this all over the place, not just in the Sermon on the Mount. You read about it in Luke. He says, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. John chapter 13, he says, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So there's a direct correlation between the teachings of Jesus and things we do. James chapter 1 says this, verse 22. We have, I think we have this slide. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Over and over again, all throughout the New Testament is this language of the discipline of practice and training even. Probably one of the most famous passages is in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Paul says this. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No. I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. This is a metaphor that Paul uses over and over again. To be a follower of Jesus is to be like an athlete in training. 
It's like being a runner running a race or a boxer in a fight, which is very contextual to Corinth in the first century. He's saying, discipline has a central role in every disciple's life. Now, before we get too far into this topic, let me just say this. I want you to know right away that when we talk about practices, spiritual disciplines, what you have to know as a foundation is this, that God loves you as you are and not as you should be. Okay, The one true living God who has come to earth as Jesus Christ, who died on the cross and rose from the dead, who's currently reigning over the cosmos, loves you just as you are, not as you should be. His love is not conditional on what you do. Are you with me? But his desire for you is for you to fully live an abundant life, to flourish as a human. So that means change is a part of this process. So you don't have to. But if anyone here like me wants to change something in your life, then we need to discipline ourselves into Christ's likeness. So there's kind of three different categories of practices based on the lifestyle of Jesus. So first, first the things that Jesus lived and did. Practices like Sabbath, silence and solitude, fasting, simplicity. These are things that Jesus incorporated into his life. Then secondly, there are practices based on the teachings of Jesus. So Jesus taught things like, do not worry. We should practice that sometimes. We should practice things like loving your enemy. You might not have an enemy threatening you with persecution, but you might have a coworker who gets on your nerves. And maybe it's trying, right? So we practice blessing them and loving them like Christ loves, loves us. And thirdly, there are also practices based on the ministry and the mission of Jesus. Those things that he did in ministry, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out demons. All these things are different categories for us to learn and practice and incorporate into our life. And here's a list. This is not an official list. This is kind of an unofficial list. Silence and solitude, prayer, fasting, reading, memorizing the Bible, living in community, Sabbath, Sunday gathering. Sunday gathering is a discipline for a lot of us. Like especially if you're introverted, right? That three minutes of fellowship before the service begins is kind of the worst part of your week for some of you, right? (laughs) But it's a spiritual practice. Being a part of a worshiping community where the truth of God is being proclaimed in worship, where we discipline ourselves to care for each other's needs, where the word is being preached week in and week out. To be with other believers in a place that kind of recalibrates our head and heart and mind is a discipline. This is a discipline. It's not an event. It's not entertainment. This is where the body of Christ comes together to remind ourselves who we are and who God is. Um, Other disciplines, serving, simplicity, generosity, celebration, repentance, gratitude, praise, curiosity, confession, journaling, contemplation. There's all kinds of them. Spiritual disciplines are practices based on the lifestyle of Jesus that create time and space for us to access the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, be transformed from the inside out. Now, I don't mean like, oh, you fast and you have more of the Holy Spirit. That's not what's going on here. But as we do the practices, we learn to cooperate with God. So look at this. This is Dallas Willard. It it wouldn't be a sermon on disciplines without Dallas Willard. He says this. He says, the disciplines are activities of the mind and body purposefully undertaken to bring our personality and total being into effective cooperation with the divine order. They enable us more and more to live in a power that is, strictly speaking, beyond us. 
deriving from the spiritual realm itself. So then, spiritual disciplines are new habits. Our new habits enable us to partner with the Holy Spirit in our own transformation and change. I like the analogy of this partnership with God and spiritual formation of being like you and God pedaling a bike together. I've heard this before. As you do your part, you push down your pedal, God will do his part and push down his pedal, right? Which allows you to push down your pedal. And then you and God then are moving together. That's what the partnership with God, how partnership with God works. So if you want to experience transformation, you need to practice the lifestyle and life practices of Jesus. This is how we partner with God. As Dallas Willard said, grace is, God is not against effort, right? Grace is not opposed to effort, but to earning. And so spiritual disciplines are non-negotiables for us who want to become more like Jesus. Because we need to recognize that the things we do, do something to us. The things we do in our ordinary life, the simple habits we have, they do something to us. We're all being shaped by things we do on a regular daily basis, whether we know it or not. And so the spiritual disciplines become counter-practices to those things that are not helpful in our Christ-likeness. Like Ephesians 4, verse 22, Paul becomes very practical, great teaching on spiritual formation. So he says this, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. So he talks about transformation of the mind, but look what he says next. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's a lot of Christian words there. But in essence, he's saying, before Christ, you live by the desires of the flesh. We desired things. We wanted to lie and cheat and have sex. And we wanted to do all these things. And when we come to faith, we learn actually in Jesus to put this new reality on, which is being made into Christ-likeness. Now, right away, when we come to faith, most of us, there are behaviors that need to change, right? And he lists them. Look at what he says. Verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. So stop gossiping. Stop over-exaggerating. Stop making yourself look better even though your marriage is falling apart. Instead, speak truthfully to your neighbor. So stop doing this. Replace it with this. It's interesting, right? Verse 28. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. So we're going to stop this behavior, but then it gives us a practice to replace it. The alternative habit. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So if you're doing this, stop and instead replace it. Take on this new habit. You with me? So one more. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Stop with the unwholesome talk, but replace it. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The biblical way of life change is never... Quit your destructive sinful actions by white-knuckling it. Willpower your way into spiritual health. That isn't it. The biblical way of to change is discipline yourself to replace destructive actions with Christ-like actions until they become a habit. Replace those. This is powerful. Why? Because we are we're little more than the cumulative effects of their daily and weekly habits. 
You have to replace an unwanted, sinful action with a Christ-like action. Because what we do on a regular basis, we become. Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming through your regular daily habits? What kind of person is being built through a constant checking of emails? What kind of person are you becoming when you're a compulsive shopper? What's that doing to you? Because those habits are shaping you. So we want to form our lives from the things that we're doing unintentionally to things that are intentional. So let me give you an example. So I believe that micro-disciplines have macro-impact. So there's a, there's a vision I have for who I want to be. And one part of that is that I want to be present as possible with the people I'm with. Okay? Now, naturally, I have trouble focusing. I am, my mind is kind of all over the place. I'm thinking about five different things at a time. So I'm intentionally practicing quieting my thoughts. And also I realized that one of the habits that was hindering my vision for who I wanted to be is my phone. I was with people and I'd be checking out Instagram or checking email, hanging out and checking email. I realized that my ability to be present to this world was now distracted by this, you know, the infinity that was in my phone. Being on my phone was hindering this vision of that I longed to be. So I began just kind of doing this micro habit of simply not picking up my phone as often as I want to. I'm not great at it yet, but I'm trying to change my habits around my phone. When I come home, a lot of times I'll just kind of put my phone somewhere else, away from me. That way I'm not distracted by it. And I've seen the beginning of change. I'm left less distracted because of that discipline. I took email off my phone, took Instagram off my phone, social media. Recently, I felt like the Lord was saying just like escape from social media altogether. I don't know if Jesus would be on Instagram or Facebook or TikTok. He might be, but I know that he'd be present to this world. He'd be engaged with the people he was with. And I don't know what Jesus would post on social media. We broadcast everything, but I think, think about Jesus as a method. He's saying that the guy he just cleansed of leprosy and healed from paralysis, hey, just keep this between us, okay? Right? Don't tell anybody. Because the kingdom of God doesn't work like the world works. It grows over a long period of time. If I was like Jesus, I'd be like, hashtag water into wine or whatever. (laughs) Hashtag Lazarus unwrapped. Hashtag fishes and healing wishes. I have a zillion of these. I couldn't stop thinking of things that Jesus might hashtag yesterday. Hashtag walking on water Wednesday. Anyway. That's all. I'm not going to. No, anyway. These, these micro habits have a macro impact. Let's talk about another one. Because some of us have identity issues. What are habits that are not helping you with your identity? We live in a time of hyper-reality. Much of our media gives us the presentation of life that actually sees the reality of life. Okay? It's an embellished vision of life created by a media-drenched culture that changes our expectations and convinces us this is what life should be like. So, for example, if you go to the bookstore, there's, there's a lot of magazine racks. 
in many magazines. And on the cover of some of those magazines are stunningly beautiful women. And those women become the cultural standards for beauty. What we don't instantly notice is that that picture was taken by a professional photographer with just the right lens, just the right lighting, with a makeup artist who decked that woman out, who's covered her blemishes, with hair people that have done her hair. I don't relate to that part very much. They, they take this picture, take it into the studio, edit it on software, enhance curves, adding curves, removing blemishes. They put it on a shiny cover of a magazine, and we see an embellished, exaggerated, enhanced vision of beauty that is not real. And women live under the tyranny of that because they have bought into a cultural standard of beauty that's a hyper-real standard. It's embellished. It's exaggerated. It's photoshopped. And a lot of men buy into that too and keep their wives in tyranny because they're constantly comparing them to a hyper-real vision that they see on the magazine covers or social media or the movies. We're living in these narratives, and we feed ourselves with these habits. We need to break them, whatever that means for you. Stop following that feed on Instagram that makes you feel ugly. Stop buying the magazines. Whatever practice it is that helps you escape from the tyranny of a cultural idea of what beauty is. Ladies, how else are you going to stand on dry ground with people drowning in self-hatred and pull them out? That's what you're called to do. I have to say this. The goal is not the discipline. The goal is the, of the practice is a heart completely transformed for something else. Because our heart is the engine that drives us. Right? Here's one way that James K.A. Smith talks about this. He says this. Our wants and longings and desires are at the core of our identity. <clears throat> the wellspring from which our actions and behaviors flow. Our wants reverberate from our heart, the epicenter of the human person. Thus, Scripture counsels, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Discipleship, we might say, is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive, and to be intentional about what you love. So discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than knowing and believing. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires. To hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. A vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God. James K. Smith can preach. He's saying, our primary task as disciples of Jesus is to learn to curate our hearts. To point our loves and our longings in the right direction. The problem isn't that we don't love, it's just that we love the wrong things. Our hearts are prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. It's easy to wander. So the goal is to recalibrate our hearts. Our lives are ultimately shaped by what we love. It's not just about what we think or believe, but what we truly love. So how do we figure out what we love and if it's steering us in the right direction? So here's what I I invite you to, and I'm going to land with this. Here's one thing that you can do this week. This is also from James K.A. Smith in his book, You Are What You Love, which is a great book. He calls it a liturgical audit. Liturgical audit. A liturgical audit is three simple questions. There you are. Yep. Number one. What things do I do without really thinking about them? Number two. What do these things do to me? Number, number three. Are there better things I can do that will shape me in a positive way? 
So what things do I do without really thinking about them? Might be, oh, every day I get up first thing, I get on my phone first thing in the morning. I look at my Instagram and email. And I keep hitting on social media, but we do the things without thinking them all the time. All kinds of things. Could be about alcohol or food, right? We comfort ourselves through food sometimes, we don't realize. So what things do I do without really thinking about them? Secondly, what do these things do to me? Is Instagram causing you to be more of someone who's full of comparison and longing to be somebody you're not? Is your, is your phone creating discontent? Are you trying to buy things based on Instagram or TikTok or whatever? Are you comparing yourself to a success that you have in life at your age based on friends that are posting things in different places? Or maybe it's just constant noise in our lives. TVs and computers and phones, so many screens, so much noise. We are constantly entertained and submerged in words and videos that we can't know ourselves well enough or know God well enough. And thirdly, are there better things I can do that will shape me in a positive way? Think through some of the spiritual disciplines or practices that you might put in your life. Maybe it's silence and contemplation. Could be taking off your headphones on a walk. Could be on a hike on Saturday with no phone, or it might be early morning time of prayer, right? This is called a liturgical audit. And it isn't easy. It requires us to ask tough questions and to be aware and notice what's happening. Because often, these habits happen below a head level, more at a gut level. Okay, there's a quote that I love from David Foster Wallace that I always liked from his famous commencement speech he gave at Kenyon College. It goes like this. He says, there, there are these two fish, young fish swimming along, and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way, who nods at them and says, morning, boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit, and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the heck is water? <laughs> we can get so used to our environment in ways that we don't even notice them anymore. So the point of this liturgical audit is to evaluate and process and think about the water in which we're swimming. Practicing a liturgical audit comes down to intentionality. We will be form-shaped and aimed towards something. It is inevitable. So how can we intentionally be formed and shaped towards Jesus and his kingdom? Because the things we do shape the things we love and shape our heart. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9.26, he says, I don't run aimlessly, right? Do not run without a clear goal ahead of me. So what's your goal? If this is your life. You only get one. No one's ever lived your life before. And if you're, if you're stuck with emotional pain and toxic thoughts and abuse from the past, you can have freedom. If you're addicted to a cycle of financial burden, poverty, debt, you can have freedom. If you're living in insecurity and self-hatred that's causing you to eat a certain way or not eat a certain way, you can have freedom. If you've been struggling to live a lust-free life, you can have freedom. If people have spoken over you false narratives about who you are and how you'll always be, you can have freedom. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We don't run aimlessly at the Upper Room Fellowship. We have a goal we're going after. Okay, let's go for it. Amen? Amen. Bruce, you want to come?
Thanks, Chris. Once again, a challenging message. Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have it in its fullness. So, does that, does that describe you? Are you living a full life? I think each of us are on a continuum. You know, we're kind of somewhere in there. Uh, from empty to full. And, and, uh, but wherever you're at, Jesus has, has more for you. And it's good. And it's like uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace. I mean, who doesn't want more of that? And what we're talking about here is being intentional about becoming whole, becoming all that Jesus intended us to be, uh, becoming like Jesus so that we can experience that fullness, live in that fullness, and give that fullness away wherever we go. So, I hope you're like me and that you're convicted about something. <laughs> that the Holy Spirit is like saying, hey, you know, I'm calling you higher. You know, you, you're, you're better than this. You're, you're, I've got more for you. There's, there's more, more joy, more grace, more, more strength, more whatever you need. And uh, Jesus wants to give that to you this morning. And also I want to say that if you've never begun a relationship with Jesus, this would be a great time. If you've never experienced the joy of being forgiven and uh, just being cleansed of your sin and just um, experiencing a new, uh, fresh relationship with Jesus himself, uh, today is the day of salvation, the scriptures say, and this could, this could be your day. So I just want, want to invite you to... Uh, open your heart to the Lord and invite him in. Uh, ask him to be your savior. I want to invite the prayer team up right now. Um, so if anybody would like prayer or if you'd like to give your life to Jesus and begin that new walk, uh, these folks are up here to pray with you and, um, and any other need you might have. So let's, why don't we all stand And let's all give Jesus more of ourselves than he had when we came in here. For he's worth it, and the more we give to him, the more alive we become. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would search our hearts, know our hearts, Lord. See if there is any hurtful way in us, Lord God, and lead us in the everlasting way. Lord, we know that your ways lead to life, Lord. Your word says, he who has the Son has life. Lord, the more of you we have, the more alive we are. And the more life we give away to those around us, Lord. So I pray, Lord, that you would, would challenge us, convict us, draw us near, uh, let us discipline ourselves for the purpose of, of being like you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.